0: Welcome to DemocracyOnTheMove.org, a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it toward its true principles of democracy. This episode is being released on Sunday, November 7, 2021. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. So today we're talking with Henry Martin, Democratic congressional candidate for the 6th District in Missouri. Now, the 6th District covers the northern top of Missouri, spanning east to west, bordered by outlying states of Illinois to the east, Iowa to the north, Nebraska and Kansas off to the west. And the east-west line that runs within the state is um, highly contorted, to say the least. It mostly encircles rural areas, but also weaves in and out of the metropolitan area near Kansas City in an effort to crack, pack, and stack the population as part of a gerrymandering operation that uh, creates a maximum benefit for the other party. Sir Henry Martin is a native Missourian. As a veteran of the United States Army, he fought as part of the Desert Shield and Desert Storm operations. After returning from combat duty, he enlisted in the National Guard. And as part of the Guard, he worked directly with Missourians that were impacted by the flood of 93, which taught him firsthand the importance of infrastructure and how it is an integral part of stability and prosperity for all citizens. And after leaving the Guard, he taught math and coached high school sports. So Henry, thanks for joining us at Democracy on the move.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: Uh, I appreciate the invite. And, and uh, so here you are you're running uh, you're running for a Congress running for Congress deep in the heartland. you're uh, up against a well- entrenched incumbent that's occupied that office since 2001. Uh, he's kind of stuck there like a wad of gum on hot asphalt. Um, I don't know where that came from, but it sounded pretty good. Um, you ran in, uh, you ran in 2020, uh, didn't make it past the primary. And the person who did make that primary, I believe that was, uh, Dr. Gina Ross. She lost, uh, by a fairly wide margin and just a couple of points going to the libertarian candidate. So it doesn't take a math teacher, although you happen to be a math teacher, but, uh, that means, you know, the numbers and the numbers, you know, they don't look that good. So I guess my most pressing question to you now is a two-parter. Why are you running and what's changed in the past couple of years that makes you think that the sixth district is ready for a new face? Well,
1: a simple and complex answers to both those questions. Uh, First, I'm running because I believe that uh, our country and, and actually the state of Missouri is ready for a change and they just need to hear a message, a strong message from a candidate who is doing a handful of things. primary is listening. And the second thing, talking to the the kid, real kitchen table issues that are of concern. Um, in the sixth congressional, um, we ha- as you stated, we have a great deal of rural area in in the state in our sorry in our district, and because of all of that rural area, there is a lot there are a lot of diverse issues that are going on um, mm-hmm. in in the past. Well, since since I ran in 2018, I I, th- I think we should go back to 2018 when I first ran, and I did win uh, in the primary. Uh, 2020 was uh, that was something I did we didn't anticipate, and my campaign just was not nimble enough to adjust to the changes that were brought on by COVID. So we didn't get at, get our message out as strong as we did in 2018. Um, in 2018, I, I did win 30 of the 36 count or 32 of the 36 counties that were contested. I, I believe that I, I give us the best chance to win as a Democrat um, for, because I've taken the time to learn the issues in this district. I've traveled to all 36 uh, counties. I've met with uh, county commissioners and talked with them about what they expect from this job. And, and you'd, be, you'd be surprised to know that some, several of them were shocked to have somebody walk in and say, what do you need from the person in the position of the 6th Congressional District seat? Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, those, those are things of concern. I, I want to restore the actual representation. <laughs> when, when I talk to people like at the barbershop or in other places, uh, my barber has become more politically aware because of my runs. He, he said, you know, he said, prior to you coming in here, I really didn't pay that close attention uh, because I didn't realize how these things affected and affected my business, uh, affected this, affected that. He said, and a lot of people just don't do that. And that was a heck of an admission. Um, what's changed in the district is um, we've taken some early polling data and our data does show that uh, the favorability rating of Mr. Graves is falling uh, and it's fallen substantially uh, from our poll in 2018 to now it is fallen uh, seven, below 50%. Um, so we believe that uh, things like uh, the insurrection are going to weigh heavy on his, his re-election prospects. Um, because all things being equal, at the end of the day, we had the assault on the Capitol and every single representative and senator had an opportunity to send a message that our democracy is more important right. than their opinion. And they balked at that. I believe it was something like 153 Republicans did, voted to not certify the election the entire Missouri delegation, minus uh Senator Blunt, of Republicans, voted to not certify the election. Well, That's troubling. And,
0: and and Wagner too. I think she backed off after the insurrection. I think she was going to vote for it. And then she made a statement afterwards that she was not going to uh, not going to that support is,
1: it. You're you're right. You're right. It, that is true. Um So it's things like that 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 show. That we have people who are willing to compromise our democracy in, in the name of their political identity—that I believe give this race a new look. We've pulled the de- we've pulled the district, and in the district, the pe- people are very upset with the insurrection itself. They do not approve. So we believe that 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 gives us a little bit of an inroad but it's something that we need to talk about as a nation what what are our values do we really believe in law and order like we say we do do we really believe in the rule of law for every person or is it ba- is our belief in the rule of law based on someone's access to power or access to resources
0: that that's really good. In fact, I, I wanna I wanna circle back on one thing because I, I do wanna hit the insurrection again shortly. But one thing I wanted to circle back on, which is I think uh, a little bit more immediate in my mind, anyways, is that um, you, you say you've been you've been go- going around and finding out you know, what are the issues, and you have thirty six counties to cover. So what are the big issues that you're seeing out there? Could you be a little bit more specific? Like give us like you know two or three of the big issues that you're that you're seeing.
1: Internet access is a big deal. Uh, because as you go more rural, uh, you see less and less reliable internet uh, service, uh, and some of that is by design. That that a policy that we've we've just used over years and years. It's time to revisit that. Healthcare is a big issue. Um, I I spoke to spoke to a woman uh, in Audrain County, who had a who had a, a condition when she was pregnant that had she not been as close to a hospital as she was, she and her baby would have died. And she put herself in the shoes of a woman who lives more rural than she and basically felt like we're not addressing the, the number of hospital closures that are going on in rural Missouri. Is It's scary. Yeah, there's been moving... uh, 14
0: over the last 10 years, I think, from one of the accounts I've, yes. I've read, yeah.
1: Yes, you're moving. You're moving services further and further away, and um, you don't necessarily have a specialist at at a particular hospital, right. and uh, that that goes to my uh, a personal experience. In uh, 2017, my my oldest sister um, she had a brain aneurysm, and uh, she lives in the capital city, and. Um, <laughs> Strange as it is, they don't have a neuros- neurosurgeon on staff at any of the hospitals in Jefferson City. They wow. had to take her all the way to Columbia. Wow. Um, the, and the, the critical need for her care at that time, it, it's, we are blessed to have her with us today. But I don't know what, what might have happened had she been more rural. Um, so yeah. I'm glad she's here but I believe every American deserves that same access to care no matter where they're at.
0: How about uh, some other issues too? I know that uh, CAFOs has been talked about a lot over Missouri and I know that these are concentrated animal feeding operations, these big factory farms that uh, are normally uh, foreign owned. Uh, Smithfield is one of the bigger ones I think out there that's owned, I believe uh, by a Chinese corporation and they're setting up shop here in Missouri and putting a lot of the local farmers. It's not just that they're putting them out of business, but they are polluting the streams, polluting the air, polluting the. Uh, uh, I mean, they're, they're killing fish nearby. They're polluting the groundwater and putting a foul stench in the air. So, I mean, this is this seems to be a a um, a creeping sort of problem in Missouri. Do you ever hear anything about these KFOs?
1: Actually, yes. Uh, One of the more controversial ones just uh, was approved to go in, pardon me, on the east side, or sorry, on the west side of uh, Trenton, which is in Grundy County, which is in the 6th Congressional, and once upon a time, uh, our Republican colleagues believed in allowing decisions like that to be made locally, but the local decision that was made by the county commissioners uh, was overridden by the state uh, because they decided that it was more important for it to go in. I believe that that uh, we're going to have KFOs, uh, but we we need to regulate that industry as strongly as possible to preserve our drinking water, uh, to preserve the land, yeah. and take care of the people in the communities. It's time for the. It's time for us in the United States. Our governments need to start protecting people over profits. Yeah. We we put profits yeah. first for so long. It, it that we, we've we've created this imbalance, and it's talked about all the time. You know, people get duped into uh, supporting a policy because it sounds good, not because it is good, but because it sounds good. And in in America, we're all aspirational. We all look at the time at a time where, what if I'm a billionaire? Would I like to be paying all those taxes? Well, you know what, if you ask me or you ask somebody who's a little bit altruistic, be like, I'd pay all those taxes with no problem because if it weren't for the environment created by our business, uh, by, by what we do to prepare workers to work, by what we do to set up our infrastructure so that we can get goods to market, so that what we, the things that we invest in as, as the as the government, if it weren't for those things, then we could not have billionaires. And so here in the United States, we have a, we have a unique situation where we have set up the set up shop for the possibilities of people to become billionaires, which I have no problem with. I, I am a 100% supporter of capitalism, but I also believe that regulated capitalism is necessary so that we can kind of govern some of the wealth gaps and make sure that every person has access. We have a lot of issues that need attention. We have affordable housing. Um, Example in uh, Maryville, that's in um, Nottaway County. They have a Kawasaki plant. Mm -hmm. Their workers, a lot of workers are bused in from St. Joseph Mm -hmm. because there's no affordable housing for a worker at the Kawasaki plant in Maryville. That's a problem. If people are living thirty and forty miles away from their job, or an hour away from their job, and they can't afford to live in the city where their job is, we—that's
0: a problem. We've got yes. to rethink.
1: We've got to rethink what we're doing. Yeah. We and we can no longer afford the status quo. We can't afford tax and spend. We can't afford spend and no tax. We can't afford tax cuts that are unnecessary. We have to have a real look at how we're spending money. You know, as as difficult as it is to watch watch Senator Manchin and Senator Sen- Senator Cinema uh, go through all of this with the reconciliation bill, as difficult as it is, I understand where they're coming from. In in on one hand, and on the other hand, I realize that the hindrance that that by them holding up this this bill, it's basically hamstringing the Democrats, and we're going to usher in Republican control of Congress for the foreseeable future because people are going to get angry at Democrats because they think we're the ones that are in transit. No, they don't, they don't see us getting anything done. No, because no one, because the news media doesn't highlight the things that have already been done. You know uh, they don't talk about the American rescue plan that actually contained one of the largest tax cuts for the middle class in American history. Uh, in the in the form of the child tax credit or the expanded child tax credit they don't talk about that they don't talk about how those the programs that they set up have basically uh preserved the economy now i will give i will give credit where credit is due and the federal government made huge moves last year in 2020 to see to it that the economy didn't completely falter and i'll, I'll give them that they did sign all those they, they signed stimulus bills into, into law. But we wouldn't have needed the stimulus had people had already had access to resources. Yeah. Period.
0: Well, um, it, and you're, you're talking them now, I'd, I'd like to circle back again now on the insurrection, because you mentioned that before. And mm-hmm. I look at the insurrection, I have to ask myself a question, you know, and I'll ask you the question, too. Several questions, actually. You know, was, was this a one-off? Or was it a fluke, perhaps, by a man with, you know, unbounded narcissistic tendencies? Or is it more indicative of a deeply embedded motivation fortified with, say, a promise for a better life, you know, make America a great again? What's going on behind the scenes in your mind? It, it's more than just stealing votes or, or, or anything like that. What is what's really driving this whole thing in your mind?
1: Hold on a second. Um
0: The insurrection, is very, very personal to me. God dang
1: it. Um, It is a slap in the face to every person who has ever put on a uniform for this country. To include people who put on the uniform for this country who were not considered, who were considered less than human. And they fought for this country value. My family for several generations has served this country. My father, my grandfather, my great grandfather, and for for all that it's worth, it is upsetting. And I serve, my son is currently serving, my nephew is currently serving. And for what it's worth, um, there's no greater slap in the face to their service and sacrifice than that assault on our cap. Mm-hmm. It was unnecessary. Do I think there's uh, more afoot? Uh, possibly. Um, it seems like there's an endless stream of propaganda that's, that's going on and uh, I'm, I'm sharing my opinions with you now. And the for your listeners, I, I hope they I hope they understand that there is a better way to do this. Um the problem that we have, we have a lot of voter apathy, particularly within the de- Democratic Party. I go out and I I go out in some of these uh, uh counties and we the Democrats are you can't you can't find them, they're quiet. Because that's kind of the way Democrats are. They're quiet. They don't they're not yelling from the top of the hills they're they're kind of quietly doing what they do to, to preserve what's there
0: right
1: so there's no excuse and there's no i don't know that we're not headed for some more drama down the road um <laughs> well i i just saw the stephen colbert bit uh, where they and I saw it, it hit my news feed about the QAnon folks that actually believed that down in Dallas, Texas, yeah, yeah. JFK Jr. was going to return to be Donald Trump's uh, running mate, vice president. Yeah. The, these things, this is poison. It is true poison to American democracy, and it, it is it, it is unfortunate that this is where we are. Do I hope that there's not um, anything physical or any, any I, I hope that this is a one-off, uh, but the reality is, particularly when you had a gentleman that just, just uh, last week it was, uh, he said, I, I get that we've done all this and we've done all this and we've done all this, but when do we get to use the guns? And that's, that's, a, that's a scary thought. That, that he would say, when do we get to use the guns? Because he is not alone in, that, in, in how he feels about that. And that worries me because that means that Americans are losing faith in the, the governmental systems that have been put in place. There is no greater victory that we can give Vladimir Putin than to have the American democracy fail because we have been the model for the world. No. And if we can't get it together, then there's living proof that democracies don't work. We give rise to authoritarian, uh, ten- or authoritarian tendencies when we entertain this stuff. Because at the end of the day, the reality is that a lot of people, they can point and say, you see that right there? is what we need to police. But don't pay attention to what I'm doing. The government needs to police that, but not me. Yeah. The reality is that, that my philosophy on governance is this. My personal feelings, my faith, my what drives me is irrelevant when we're governing. When we're governing, we have to find that sweet spot where we get a little bit, of, everybody gets a little something. So that people can say, You know, I don't like that, but you know, I, I can, I can deal with what's there and that's where we need to get back to. And, and unfortunately we, we, we don't have that right. And it's very difficult to, to explain to people that that is what we need. That is what governance is. It's the, you know, I don't really like, I don't really like that piece, but I'm okay with that. I can live.
0: Yeah. That, that spirit, I think, has largely been lost in this country. Um, you're probably, I might be a little bit older than you, I'm not sure, um, you're already a grandfather and so am I, but uh, mm-hmm. I remember back in the 1980s when I think things really started to go off the rails. I don't know if you remember Ronald Reagan's first uh, inaugural address where he said, government is not the solution to the problem, government is the problem. And in my mind, that's when the that's when we crossed the Rubicon in a sense. We've, we've now made government a problem, and it was backed up by people like Grover Norquist who said famously, I want to shrink government down to the point where I can drown it in the bathtub, and this, all this um, rhetoric has had a toll on this country, a long-term toll. It's now ingrained in the, in the, in the fabric of most Americans, <clears throat> and now we, we start actually tearing apart the institutions themselves. Which I find to be ironic, because if you if you if you look at the possibility of the forces that were behind the insurrection, if you look at the possibility that they may have succeeded, what sort of a government could they possibly set up that doesn't depend on institutions? And that being the case, then how are they going to suddenly now begin trusting those institutions? So the whole thing is yeah. is very self-destructive, and I don't see an end for it. I, you know, when you think about the the, uh, the fight for independence back in the in, in seven starting in 1775 and going up through the 1780s they at least had some idea of where they were going what they wanted to do and the government that they put together so the people that fought the war were also the ones that put together the Constitution I don't see that happening today I just see people being angry and upset and and, and striking out of the government I want to move this along a little bit though I, I'm I've'm I'm, I'm, becoming a big fan of you right now. So just listening to your, to your talk here, I'd like to, I'd like to ask you a question here though. Let's say you win this next election and you find yourself in Washington, DC in in January, 20 or you take a seat at your new desk and you, you know, you kind of crack your knuckles, you grab your pen. And now what's the first thing on your agenda or what, a, let's start with the, yeah, let's start with the first thing and go out from there.
1: Well, the first thing I want to do is I want to see to it that we get uh, Medicaid expansion passed. Um, it is important that we uh, move move towards a me- Medicare for All model for the United States, and for this reason, we pay the most for healthcare in the world and get the get some of the worst outcomes. Yeah. Yes, we do have a lot of success stories. We do have a lot of groundbreaking research that goes on in the United States. I take absolutely nothing away from that. But the fact is that right now, people who have health insurance are paying for people who do not have health insurance. And if we were to expand Medicare, to go to a Medicare for all type model, then every person with a job would be paying into our insurance model. Um, I think that will free up capital within businesses. It'll free up. Ca- it'll free up uh, resources in people's homes. Um, I think you would see a lot more productivity across the board because at that point, we could uh, uh, businesses could focus their efforts on doing what they do, and that's producing products or services instead of having to negotiate uh, the next uh, uh, big healthcare bill or next big healthcare um, uh, contract. There was an interview with a former CEO of General Motors, and he had said that he got into the car business to make cars. And for the last five years of his tenure, he was either – Negotiating to fix something that was wrong with the current health care uh, contract or negotiating the new health care contract. Mm-hmm. And he just said that it, it was so overwhelming that it, it, it was it was not worth it anymore to him. And, and so he subsequently retired. Um, and, and I want to go back to something that, we, that you were talking about before um, with with. Ronald Reagan's uh, declaration that government is the problem. I say this. When you show me a politician who believes government is the problem and they're running on that premise, I guarantee you that they're going to make government the problem. Yeah, yeah. They're not going to fix anything because they have nothing to run on. Fixing the problem Requires people who believe in our institutions and believe that government can work. When you tell me that the government can't work, you're telling me that very well-intentioned people who go into public service don't want to do a good job. You're telling me that our servicemen and women don't want to do a good job. That's what you're saying to me. You're telling me that my neighbor's choice of who they sent to Washington was not a good choice. So there's there's nothing that they can invest that will do anything to make government work better.
0: That's a really good take on that. I I really like that input because uh, it it almost fits a pattern too. Right to to. to... Destroy the government or tear it down, and then and then stand back and say, "See, the government's all torn down. It's a horrible government." You know, so exactly. where where does that end? You know, it ends yeah. in in disaster.
1: I believe in government accountability, and there are go- there's there's ways to hold the government and government agencies accountable without setting up a whole bunch of additional hurdles that they have to climb in order to get the same mission done. Um, President Obama and his administration. Tried to get rid of some of the duplication within the federal government that actually is part of the waste of of government resources, and I agree with that. I, the second thing I want, well, the first thing we definitely have to get healthcare done, and then the second thing we need to start looking at is we need to start looking at that redundancy. You know what? In in, in my world, when I was standing in a foxhole in Saudi Arabia, I think. I think I I can speak as a bit. We actually, I, I looked at it like this. I signed a contract to do the job that's necessary to defend our democracy and our constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic. And as part of that contract, I'm saying, I'm going to participate in the fight. We've got the fight. Our, 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 our service members have the fight. All they care about is that government lives up to their end of the contract and takes care of the people at home. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And our government has not done that. And that, that, that is painful to watch. And, you know, because when, when I hear about, see, see people who are homeless, people are homeless for a myriad of reasons. We can, we can debate all day why they're homeless. Did they make a bad choice? Was there something that happened in their life? You know, we, you can go down an entire list of things of why they're homeless, okay? They're homeless. What are we doing to put them back into a home? What are we doing to help their situation? And so we have a lot of big problems. And here we are, they want, oh my God, I can't, I, grievance politics makes me so sick. I get tired of hearing about critical race theory. That is not even an issue. That's not something that needs to be talked about. I get tired of I, LGBTQ rights are, are vital, but it's not something that we should be spending so much time on that it's that it's something that in public forums people are getting angry over whether or not you're gonna let a trans child use a bathroom with the gender with which they align. That is not something we should be fighting about. Abortion, that is not something we should be fighting about. It is It only exists as a political football to carry into an election because there is almost nothing done. Right now, the Supreme Court has a big job to do. They either go, are going to a full Roe, Roe v. Wade or they're going to strike it down. That is it. The, the Congress has not to do the things because when, when, the, when the federal court, when the Supreme Court strikes down a, a law or a, a precedent, they usually give a framework by which you can codify into law something that will actually stay and has staying power I don't like the fact that they gutted section five I don't like that and it's kit and vote you see you see the, the result of that is immediately after they gutted section five what does Texas do <laughs> they right. they 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 gerrymandered so bad in Texas that yeah. the Texas Senate sent back the initial draft of redistricting to the Texas House. That should tell you how serious this situation is. We have, our nation has a difficult past, and we've got to reconcile with that past, or we're never going to move forward because we haven't reconciled with that past. They can blow a dog, they can blow a dog whistle politics is going to go on as long as we allow it to. Grievance politics will continue to go on. People want something and someone to believe in. And the former president has given them something to believe in. I don't agree with almost nothing of what he has ever uttered or done. But he has a platform. And we're giving it to him. And if Senators Manchin and Cinema can't get on board with getting something done, they're going to usher in a, a, a... Republican majorities that we're not going to overtake for years.
0: Yeah, I think if ever. Very well said. I, I want to ask, though, before we before we cut it off here, um, what uh, what where can people go to become part of your effort to become the uh, the, the congressman from the 6th District of Missouri?
1: Well, they can stop by HenryMartinForCongress.com. It's open 24 hours, 7 days a week. Uh, we do have the ability to sign up and volunteer here. Uh, we will be uh, trying to activate volunteers, probably about uh, May or June, or sometime shortly after, uh, after filing is done in Missouri. Um, uh, they can go to my Facebook page, uh, that's uh, Henry Martin for Congress, and they can follow us on Twitter at HM for Congress. Um, the, the big albatross that every, every Democrat in a difficult district has to face is that fundraising is, is, a, is a problem um i i don't i don't i'm not going to have a hundred donors that can donate the max i'm not i'm just not going mm-hmm. to have that but if uh we can have a few thousand voters that could donate twenty dollars that can go a long way uh that that will help us uh be able to get the message out the the uh one of the one of the issues that we had in 2018 was messaging the ability to get out to everyone in the district because of the geographic size of the district. Uh, we need to we need resources to be able to put ads on the air, both t- television, radio, and newspaper ads. Um, those things help, but those things cost money. Um, not since 2008 has a uh, has a Democrat candidate for this seat been able to raise. Uh, what what could be considered a competitive amount of money to put out a message that will help them win we We are working tirelessly to uh, fundraise for this campaign, and we expect that uh, should we hit our our targets and our goals, uh, we we have a good inside chance to win. It's a long shot because it because of gerrymandering, but we do have a chance to win.
0: Good Good, and that's uh, Henry Martin dot what was that again what the what was that website?
1: Henry Martin
0: Henry Martin for Congress Right. Thank you. Yes. So uh, we've been uh, we've been listening or we've been talking with Henry Martin, Demo- Democratic candidate for U.S. Congress, District Six in Missouri. Henry, I, I again I want to thank you for joining us today. It's been a pleasure talking with you. I wish you good luck and lots of success in your campaign for the Congress.
1: Well, Dan, thank you very much, and we'll we'll make ourselves available as you uh, deem that you have time for
0: us. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its true principles of democracy. Please tune in each week where we will feature guests and topics that will help keep you in touch with our March toward a more perfect union. If you have any suggestions for stories or people you think we should cover at Democracy on the Move, please contact us through our website contact page at democracyonthemove.org slash contact, or send us an email at info at org. Democracy on the Move is all one word. You can also comment on our Twitter page at All on the Move. If you find today's podcast interesting and informative, please tell your friends and family about us. And if you'd like to help sponsor the podcast at Democracy on the Move, please contact us through the website or email. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead, and we hope you'll tune in for our next episode.